I want to talk to you today about worship, and to do so is going to be really, really hard because we tend to think of worship as something we do. You are sitting right now in something that Generations Community Church calls a worship gathering. Worship gathering. But you tend to call it a worship service, or you just lop off the second word and you just call it worship, right? People who are in uh, children's ministry for a while, they go, man, I miss worship. And they're talking about what happens in this room between 10 and 11 a.m., like 60 minutes, boom, shakalaka. Um, worship is one of the few Christian terms or religious words that don't get used a whole lot in culture at large. Think about it. There's hero worship, which is generally bad because you're adoring somebody that you really shouldn't adore. And then seminary students use it in a crass way to, as a euphemism for going to the bathroom. If you've never heard seminary students, the, you know, the stereotypical youth pastor is at a youth gathering. He disappears for a little bit. He comes back. They're like, hey, Pastor Charles, where were you? Oh, I was worshiping at the porcelain throne. I know. Seminary students are crass. Although I suppose if you were drunk, you could also be worshiping at the porcelain throne, but then hopefully seminary students aren't drunk and doing it that way. <laughs> Among churchgoers that I know, worship tends to be referred to something even more specific than the service. It tends to refer to the music in the service. As in, man, worship was off the hook today. Other person, friend. I know, did you hear that bass player? I didn't know you could modulate that many times and may feet, my feet may fail. Oh my gosh, I know, it was totally awesome. And the fog machines, I know. <laughs> You're like, where are those churches? Oh, they're out there. <laughs> they're out there. Or, or as in, oh God, worship just dragged on today, friend or spouse. Oh, I know. How many times did we sing the chorus of how great is our God? I don't want to sing that for another year. Oh. Or, I don't know. I just couldn't focus on anything today. Who is that new girl with the yellow mic? Oh, my gosh, she was off key. Where did they get her? You never say things like that, right? But in other churches, among churchgoers, we tend to rate the worship service or worship in terms of whether or not we liked it, whether or not the music was good, or whether or not it did anything for us. And, and that's how we, we tend to talk about worship. And so I ask you, is that really what worship is all about? The music in the worship service and whether or not we like it or whether or not it does anything for us? And then you've got all the various kinds of forms of worship. I learned this when I went to college. I grew up in small town Indiana, exclusively white. I didn't know any better. And so I went to college and Michael met Michael. Michael was so smart. Oh my gosh, he was so smart. The guy was a brainiac. He wore the circle owl glasses to even prove that he was extra smart. Total brainiac. I mean, he, and he had a memory. He memorized everything he read. He had one of those like memory things going on. Total brainiac. And, but Michael happened to be black. I didn't think that was a big deal until the Sunday he invited me to go to his church. See, I was Baptist, he was Baptist. I just assumed it was all the same. See, in white church, in case you've never been, in white church, you know, the preacher is preaching, and you zip it and listen. Occasionally, you look at the ceiling tiles. 
Look at your watch. Look a little bored now. It's 11.59. Oh, closing prayer. Thank you, God. And off you go. Black church is not like that. Black church is totally interactive. I did not know that. I did not know that the Sunday that Michael took me. So I show up and I'm thinking, all these people are so disrespectful. And they're like, you know, preach it. And uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what's this all about? Hootie hoo! They just hootie hoo Jesus. Really? What? Can you do that? So, and then Michael didn't warn me that in black worship, worship isn't an hour. It's hours. And three hours later, when I was hungry and I wanted to go home, I thought, white people just don't love Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty much my conclusion. I felt bad the rest of the day. I was like, man, we just don't love Jesus. Okay, so you got that thing going on. Then you've got like Pentecostal worship. And in every Pentecostal church, isn't there the lady that's got the tambourine? And she's just totally, the tambourine woman, you know what I'm talking about. If you've been to Pentecostal church, it's the tambourine lady, and she's always got to be, uh, and she's jiggling as she does it, and you're like, what's that all about? And then there's the person who's got the Holy Ghost, and you're thinking to yourself, that is the fourth time this morning. You are so faking it now. That is not the Holy Ghost. That's, you know. So there's Pentecostal, and that's different. Then there's Catholic. I had another uh, sweet mate who was Catholic, Drew, and I remember him taking me to Catholic Mass, okay? So you go in, and the guy has this smoky ball on a chain. You grew up Baptist, you've never seen that in a life. You're taught that smoking is bad in all forms. <laughs> and they're doing it in church. You know, and it's, Pachum novese benedicti. I know. If this gig doesn't work out, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the smoking ball on a chain. So, and you know, and you have to stand and sit and stand and sit and stand and sit and kneel quick. And, and that's confusing. And then, then there's the whole worship stuff where, like, you really like someone else, and, but you're Pentecostal and they're Baptist, so you go to their church and they say they're open to the Spirit, and you get, the song's really good, and you're like, woo! And then you open your eyes and you realize that you are the only one with the hands up. And so now they go in the pockets just so that the pockets will make sure your hands don't, you know, because you're a hand raiser, and that's just who you are. And then there's the Baptists, right? Please stand and sing hymn number 474. There is power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working, you know, right? It's, so there's all these forms, and it adds to the confusion about worship. The way we talk about worship tends to be, and I think, a little unbiblical. Uh, it, it, it tends to make worship about us and what we like and don't like and whether or not we got something out of it. But is that what worship is all about? When I was a younger married man and stupider than I am now, I thought that I could make Jenny happy by I had this list. It was my Jenny checklist. If I did one, two, three, four, five, boom, Jenny will be happy. No problem. So I would do things for her. I would bring her lunch at school when she forgot her lunch. I even did, did flowers regularly back then. And I remember getting into an argument with her one night. And she was, you know, you know, I love me, blah, 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 blah. And I, so I proudly started listing off 
the things that I had done for her, including the flowers. And do you know what she told me? Well, this is church, actually. <laughs> Come to think about it. You can ask me later. <laughs> this is PG. Um, in the Old Testament, God gives specific instructions about how he wants to be worshipped. He says things like, observe this festival for seven days. Did you just sin? That's a goat, pigeon, or turtle dove if you're going to enter my temple. Annie up. I mean, very specific in the Old Testament. But over time, the Israelites just kind of went through the motions. And it was something they did. It was something that was kind of about them and not about God anymore. And God grew to detest it. He says things like this in the Old Testament toward the end. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I despise your stinking sacrifices. When worship is something we do, when it's about us and what we're getting out of it, I think God responds to us the same way Jenny did to me, in essence saying, you know what? Keep the flowers. I don't want them. I want your heart. If you brought a Bible, open it to John chapter 4. We're going to be in the, the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a woman who was from the wrong place, wrong city, wrong ethnicity, wrong everything. John chapter 4, right? And they'll throw it up on the big screen. So we'll look at the first, what, six, eight, eight verses, and then we'll keep moving through. So John chapter 4. Um, Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize him. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. No offense, ladies, but in Jesus' day, women were water getters. If you were a woman, you were a water getter. You got water. That's how it worked. And you would get water with other women. So there, it was like water gathering anonymous. Everybody went at the same time. You got, you know, you got water. You were helping each other out. If one person, I, uh, one lady at a women's retreat I was at, because I was the pastor, I had to go. It's kind of a thing. Some of you are like, you went to a women's retreat? Yeah. So, so, but the lady speaker was like going on about how that was so awesome because, you know, that women all helped each other and it wasn't like a burden your own kids because everybody's kind of looking out for each other else. But as is sometimes happen, talk goes on. And if you were a woman who wasn't raising your kids right or you had done some things that you shouldn't be doing, they'd just kind of get in all your business and tell you a what for. And that's kind of what happened. And so this woman has done some things that she's not particularly proud of. And so when all the women are going to get water, guess what? She's not there. She goes later in the day when it's blistering hot, when no one's going to get water because she doesn't want to hear what they have to say. That's this woman in chapter 4. Let's pick it up, verse 9 and following. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you'd ask me, and I'd give you living water. But sir, <laughs> you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep, she said. Where would you go to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer water, better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water 
will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to go to get water. So she doesn't get it at one level. I mean, they're talking about water, but Jesus isn't really talking about water, is he? Jesus is like that. I mean, he's always talking about kings, and a man has two sons, and there's this field, and, and it's never about the thing that he's talking about. It's always about something else. And he does that with this Samaritan woman, and it's not really about water. It's about what God has to offer people. And she initially doesn't get it. She knows she has a need. She just doesn't ha ha know how to quite articulate it. But Jesus, sensing that there's a connection, presses, she, he pokes the bear. Watch what he does. Uh, uh, verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Oh. I mean, right there. The whole reason she doesn't go get water with all the women other water gatherers is because she doesn't have, I mean, five men, okay? Ding, 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 ding. Man number five, man number six. It's a string. And this guy, you know, go get your husband. Thanks a lot. Th you know, I didn't show up this morning, and now you're going there of all the places. But she's honest. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five, and you aren't even married to the man you're with now. That's six. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gezerim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and it's here right now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He pokes the bear. He goes to the very subject about her life and the way she's living that's out of sync with how God wants life to be lived. And what does she do? She shifts the subject. Well, you know, what about this whole worship thing, Jesus? Isn't it funny how even today everybody kind of gets bent out of shape over the second thing and not the first thing? As in, you know, you got to be in succession from Peter and under the authority of the Pope. You got to preach the word. You got to have apostolic succession. You got to have hymns, robes, choirs, and organs. No, you got to have guitars, drums, special effects, and pods. No, no, you got to speak in tongues. You better not speak in tongues. No, you got to raise your hands. No, you better not raise your hands. Right? 2,000 years later, and we all spin our wheels over forms, styles, and stuff, and it's the first category that God's wanting. Um, so let's pick it up uh, at the end 
uh, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship this, the Father on this mountain or that. You Samaritans know little. The time is coming is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is how the message translates that one little sentence. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Worship isn't something you do on this mountain or that mountain or this way or that way. It's who you are, how you live. It's how you respond or how you value God. Worship is really valuing God for who he is and what he's done. It's not a church service. It's, it's not choirs or a great band. And if you've ever wondered about heaven and thought to yourself, oh man, I don't want to go to heaven. It's just like a never-ending church service. I have good news for you. It's not. <laughs> there are no church services there. Hallelujah. Come on, you could get saved right now. Come on. There are no church services in heaven. But there is God in a very real, unmitigated way. God himself, which is absolutely amazing. And I'll get into that in a minute. But let me ask some questions, all right? If worship is... If, if to worship God is to value him, then let me ask some questions. First question, are you picky when it comes to the type and form of worship? It's got to be Hillsong United, or it's got to be electric. No, it's got to be acoustic. Or, ah, oh, you're using fog machines. I draw the line. That's clubbing it. That has no place in the house of God. You know, what? Are you picky when it comes to the type and form of worship? Why? Why does it matter so much to you? And if you're honest, do you think God cares about that stuff as much as you do? And if not, what does God really care about? Second question, do you prepare at all for worship? I mean, do you ever, like, read a verse or even in the car on the way in, pray a, a, a prayer to God before coming to the worship service, gathering, worship, whatever you want to call it? Louis Giglio asks this question, and I think it's a question we all should ask. What did God get out of this today? So, then, in other words, the next time your friends ask you, so how was church, rather than say something like, well, I really liked the fill-in-the-blank, or yeah, I really got something, or no, I didn't get much out of this last Sunday, maybe we could flip it, and if and if it's all about what God got out of it, you know, so how was church this weekend? Well, it was okay, but I'm, I really need to forgive my dad. And I, I'm just, you know, I can't right now. I'm just having a hard time forgiving him. So it was, a, it was all right. It would probably be better if I could just get over that. But that's where I am right now. Or how was church today or th this week? Oh, it was great. Really? I offered him everything. I told God he could have anything, everything I have. My time, talent, anything in the checkbook, whatever he wants, I'll do. I think it went pretty well. Believe me, you say stuff like that, people, you know, are you okay? Do, you know, do we need to have an intervention? But it might open doors for conversation. All right? If worship is valuing God, I think it's a lot like how the traveling companions of Doctor Who value him. So for you Whovians, you're getting some, some breadcrumbs today, okay? So in, in, the, in the television series Doctor Who, Doctor Who is this guy, Time Lord and he travels through time and space, and he always has a human traveling companion. And the human traveling companions say things like this about the doctor. 
He's fire and ice and rage. He's like the night and storm. He's like the heart of the sun. He's absolutely brilliant. He's wonderful. He saved your life so many times, and yet you never knew he was there, and he never stops. They admire him and value him in such a way they would give anything for him. Worship, there it is, on TV every week, piping out of London. And I think Jesus is worth so much more than the doctor because of what he did, does, and who he is.